I want to take the time that we have left, and I want to turn your attention to the Word for a few moments, because uh, regardless of what the situation might be, as extreme as the ones you've just heard testified about, uh, or something in your own personal life that it just weighs down like a cloud of heaviness or depression or, or anxiety or, or, or whatever it might be, the Bible says hope deferred makes the heart sick. Now, come on, if you're sick in your heart, it doesn't really matter what the physical diagnosis is. And so we need hope. And we need to know how to have hope and how to find hope. And my prayer is that God would continue to use us to bring hope. So I want you to turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 30. And I just want to tell you a story today. And then we're going to respond to what the Lord is saying to us. 1 Samuel chapter 30, and we'll lay the foundation with just reading the first couple of verses, verse 1 and 2. 1 Samuel 30, verse 1 and 2. It says, David and his men reached Ziklag on the third day. Now the Amalekites had raided the Negev and Ziklag. They had attacked Ziklag and burned it and had taken captive the women and everyone else in it, both young and old. They killed none of them, but they carried him off as they went on their way. They, they carried them off because they were more valuable to them to be sold into slavery than they were to just kill them. If you can imagine the lowest point in your life, you can imagine Ziklag. That's what this place represents today. That's what it was in reality for David. If there's ever been a moment in your life where you felt hopeless, where you felt overwhelmed, you've been to Ziklag. You don't see Ziklag coming. It's not something you, you, you plan for. It's not something that anybody puts on their agenda. For some people, Ziklag is the culmination of a thousand compromises, just little decisions, moving the needle a little bit farther away from the purpose and the plan that God had orchestrated for their life until they find themselves in Ziklag. For other people, it's the compounding weight of carrying too much for too long, and you just get to the place where you're overwhelmed, and you you just can't take another day, another decision. You're in Ziklag. Ziklag is the last straw. It's the one that breaks the camel's back. It's It's the place where you come to the end of yourself. It's the low blow in life that sucks the air right out of you. David should have never been there. The good news is that even if you are there, as David was, even though he was never supposed to be there, that doesn't mean God can't find you there. God knows where Ziklag is. Let me give you a little bit of the backstory. Most of you are familiar with David, but this is a young man, and and we'll just kind of briefly look through his life. This was a young man that if you know his story, you know God had a special plan for him. God had a destiny for David. In fact, in 1 Samuel chapter 13, God is speaking to the nation. They don't have a leather-bound edition of God's word, and so they had prophets, they had seers, they had foretellers who would speak on God's behalf, and Samuel 
who this book is named after, 1 Samuel, he was one of those prophets to the nation, and he's speaking to King Saul. Saul was chosen to be the king of Israel, and here's what he says to him in 1 Samuel 13, verse 13. He says, you've done a foolish thing, Samuel said. You have not kept the command that the Lord your God gave you. If you had, he would have established your kingdom over Israel for all time. Look at verse 14. Samuel says, but now your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and appointed him to be the ruler of his people because you have not kept the Lord's command. He was speaking about David when he said God has sought a man after his own heart. God already had ordained that David would be the next king of Israel. Now, it's funny that he said God has sought a man because at this time, David's just a boy. But God sees his potential. And can I say, regardless of what it looks like in your life, God sees your potential. He knows what he planned for you. He's not, he's not describing you or looking at you based on current circumstances. The Bible says in Jeremiah 1, verse 5, it says, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart, and I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. God had a plan for you long before you ever had an experience. God foreknew you. He formed you with purpose, the same way he formed Jeremiah, the same way he formed David. And so here is Samuel. While David is just a 15-year-old kid, God has already spoken to the prophet to say, I have sought a man who has my heart. Well, three chapters later, Samuel learns who that man is. He learns that it's the sheep herding son of Jesse from Bethlehem, that God wants him to go there and to find one of Jesse's sons and to anoint him as the next king in Israel. And, and Samuel does what most of us would do. He goes and he meets Jesse's sons and he looks at them, and looking at their physical stature, he assumes which one it's going to be. He picks the tallest. He picks the one that's the oldest. He picks the one that looks to be the strongest. And he's wrong, not just once or twice or three times, but seven times. He looks at what he thinks is every one of Jesse's sons, and none of them have the grace and the calling of God on their life to be the next king of Israel. Till finally he says, do you have any more kids? I mean, did, did you forget anybody? And it's only then that Jesse says, well, I do have one more son. He's out in the field tending the sheep. And the prophet said, we're not going to sit down until he gets here. Somebody go get that kid. And they run out to the field and they find David and they bring him back into the house. And Samuel immediately recognizes something. God teaches him a valuable lesson in that encounter. It's, it's recorded for us in 1 Samuel 16, verse 7 where the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider the outward appearance or his height, for I have rejected him, speaking of the older brother. The Lord does not look at the things that people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. God's looking at your heart today. God's looking at my heart today. He's, he's not impressed with, with the things that impress us coming into church on a Sunday morning. So Samuel anoints David. He, he pours the oil on his head, and immediately we begin to see the favor of God in his life. Can I just say as, as a byword today that the anointing makes all the difference in your life? 
You need the touch of God on your life. You need God's presence. You need to hunger and thirst for his presence and his glory in your life. The anointing makes all the difference. And so Samuel anoints David, and and as we read his story play out over the next several chapters, David quickly becomes the personal musician to King Saul. He's a skilled musician, and and he takes up residence in the king's palace, and he plays for him to soothe his conscience. In Samuel chapter 17, we learn the familiar story of David going to visit his brothers on the battlefield. He's going to deliver some some food and resources to them. And when he gets there, he overhears the taunts of the Philistine giant. Goliath is taunting the people of God and the God of the people. And David steps up and just in a moment of courage, this young kid who shouldn't even be there, he steps up and he says, I'll fight him. I'll I'll take out this guy who's defying the, the God of Israel's armies. And David goes out with just a sling and a stone, and he, and he knocks the giant down. And then he takes out Goliath's own sword, and he cuts his head off. And the day ends with David, this 17-year-old kid, still carrying around the head of the giant like it's his first buck on the opening day. <laughs> He's still carrying around Goliath's head. And out in the streets, there are women that are singing. Saul has slayed his thousands, but David, his tens of thousands. And this this young boy goes from, from obscurity to national fame and notoriety. God begins to elevate him like had never happened before. Through the process, King Saul becomes increasingly jealous He becomes more and more jealous of David to the point that finally he throws a spear at him and attempts to kill him. Finally, it gets to the place where the tension is so bad that that David has to run for his life. So David leaves as a fugitive, and for the next 10 years, he spends his days hiding out in caves in the Middle East, trying to avoid capture. He's a fugitive of his own country and of his own king. Two different times in that experience, he had the opportunity to take Saul's life. We talked about the first opportunity a couple weeks ago at our men's breakfast. David had the opportunity to to kill Saul, and instead, he just quietly cut off the corner of his robe and let him live. He later came out of hiding just to show the king the corner of his robe that he had cut off and to say, "I, I could have killed you. I chose not to. I haven't sinned against you, but it didn't appease the king's anger. He continued to go after David. Sometime later, the Bible tells us in 1 Samuel 26, he had another opportunity to take Saul's life. While Saul was sleeping and all of his military was sleeping around him, David snuck down into the camp and took Saul's spear that was laying right next to his head. And he took his water jug that was right beside him. All the while, one of his Soldiers, Abishai is saying, please, let me just run this spear right through him. I'll kill him now. You'll be king tomorrow. This can all be over. Just take his life, David. And David refused to touch the anointed one, the one who had been anointed king. He knew that God had called him to be the next king, but his heart, his integrity wouldn't let him take Saul's life. Pick this story up with me in 
1 Samuel 26. Saul gets up the next morning and hears David calling him from the hill on the opposite side of the valley. And, and he realizes that he's holding Saul's water jug and his spear. And he realizes that now, twice, David could have killed him and ended all of this and taken the throne by force, but he didn't do it. And so Saul responds to David now, calling across the valley in 1 Samuel 26, verse 10. It says, as surely as the Lord lives, he said, the Lord himself will strike him or his time will come and he will die or he will go into battle and perish. This is David explaining to his young soldier why he can't take Saul's life. Verse 11, but the Lord forbid that I should lay a hand on the Lord's anointed. Now, get his spear and his water jug that are near his head and let's go. Now skip down to verse 21 with me. Then Saul said the next morning, I have sinned. Come back, David, my son, because you considered my life precious today. I will not try to harm you again. Surely you have acted, I have acted like a fool and have been terribly wrong. Then look at the blessing that he gives down in verse 25. Saul speaking out to David. He said, may you be blessed, David, my son. You will do great things and surely triumph. So David went on his way and Saul returned home. Now reading that, you would think this is the moment that things are going to turn around. You would think that finally Saul has come to his senses out loud publicly in front of all of his soldiers and in front of David's, he has confessed. He has said, I've sinned. I'm sorry. Just come home. You, you, you've done right by me. I acknowledge the fact that the throne will be yours. Just come home. You would think this would be the moment that everything would finally change for David. But here's how you know when you're in Ziklag or when you're headed that way. When even good news doesn't sound good anymore. David's response doesn't seem to fit the moment here. Saul has just repented. Saul has just acknowledged his failure. But David has reached a point where, where there's no more optimism in his tank. Even when he hears good news, it, it, just, it just falls on deaf ears. He's so overwhelmed and weary with what's happening in his life. So look at the next verse with me. At the beginning of 1 Samuel chapter 27, it says this in verse 1, but David thought to himself, one of these days, I'll be destroyed by the hand of Saul. That's the response that David has to Saul coming out and recognizing that, that David is right and that I'm wrong and that I've sinned and, and that God's favor is on you and his favor has left me. David's response to that was... I, I, can see, I can see where this is headed. I, I can see where my life is going. Give it time, eventually. In other words, there's no more hope. David's outlook at that point was, one of these days, I mean, I, I can only do this so many times. I can only go this, through this for so long. One of these days, I'll be destroyed 
by the hand of Saul. You know what we don't see here? We don't see David praying about his decision. We don't see him seeking the Lord. We don't see him calling out to God. David is discouraged, and he's making assumptions about his future based on the way that he feels. He's not forgotten the promise of God. He's lost hope in the process. And I don't know if anybody here has ever been in that place before where I can talk about all God's promises, and you can say amen all day. But the reality is, in your heart of hearts, it's taken too long. It didn't go the way you thought it was going to go. God is slow in your mind, and you are losing hope hope. David knew the promises, but he was frustrated with the process. And he said, I can see where this is headed. I mean, after almost 10 years, eight and a half years at this point, one of these days, I'll be destroyed by the hands of Saul. So look at his rationalization. He goes on in that verse to say, the best thing I can do, the The best thing I can do is to escape to the land of the Philistines. Then Saul will give up searching for me anywhere in Israel, and I will slip out of his hands. So that's exactly what he does. David has 600 men who have gathered around him, a bunch of outcasts and rebels. They become his army, and so David and his 600 men, they go over into Philistine territory, and they submit themselves to servanthood under a man named Achish, who is a prince of Gath, Gath, the same town that Goliath, the giant, was from, the giant that he destroyed when he was just a boy, now as a man in his late 20s, he's humbled himself, and he's made himself a servant to Achish, who was the prince in Gath. And David lived in Ziklag for 14 months. I bet it felt like a lifetime. I don't know how long you have been in a difficult situation before, but sometimes it just feels like time stops. It just feels like it'll never end. It just feels like, like nothing will ever change. And so for the next almost year and a half, David is living in Ziklag, and he's constantly covering his tracks. He, he wants Achish to believe that he's loyal to the Philistines, and so he goes out and he raids a town, but he doesn't want anyone from that town to get word back that he's actually attacking the allies of Achish. He doesn't want to attack the Israelites because he loves Israel, and he knows that God's called him to be the king, but he's not welcome there. He's a fugitive of his own nation, and so now he goes out and he attacks a town, and to cover his tracks, he slaughters everyone. The Bible says that David lets no one live, man, woman, or child. This is now the reality of David's life. This guy who had so much integrity that he wouldn't kill the anointed one. He wouldn't lay a hand on King Saul because of the integrity of his heart, because he didn't want to dishonor God. Now he's going out and he's killing entire villages and he's destroying people just so that he can keep up the appearance of loyalty to the Philistines. Years later, when God has blessed his life and when David has the money and the resources and the blueprints to build a temple to honor God, the Lord would say, David cannot build a house for me because there's too much blood on his hands. But this is where David's at. He's at a low point in his life. 
He's in Ziklag. And the day would come finally when the Philistines would go back to war against Israel. And Achish would say to David, now you understand, you you work for me, so you're going to have to go to battle against Israel. And David says, absolutely, I understand. You'll finally get to see how committed I am to you. And so David and his 600 men, they fall in line behind the troops. And they walk a three-day journey to go into the battle with the Philistines, with his enemy, against the people of God. Ziklag's never a place he intended to be. I don't know too many backslidden Christians who who would say, I actually intended to fight against the will of God. I don't know too many backslidden believers that would say, my hope was to destroy the church. No, they just found themselves all of a sudden in a place where they were in opposition to the will and the work that God was trying to accomplish. So David is on a three-day hike towards the battle lines when the, the, the generals in the front of the line get word that the army in the back of the line is none other than David. And they say to Achish, what are you trying to do to us? We're going to get into battle, and and this is going to be his moment to prove to Saul that he's faithful, and he's going to attack us from the rear. And isn't this the guy that they used to sing about? Saul killed his thousands, and David killed his ten thousands. You're letting this guy walk into battle behind me? Send him home. And so Achish has a conversation with David, and after 14 months of selling his soul to Achish to communicate his loyalty, Achish tells him, the short of it is, we still don't trust you. You got to go home. Go back to Ziklag. And so David's a man without a country, and he goes back home to Ziklag. It's a three-day journey the other direction. The Bible tells us that that as they were approaching Ziklag, as they were almost home, David and his 600 soldiers are weary and they're they're tired and they're frustrated and, and he has no vision for the future. He's not accepted or embraced or trusted where he lives and he certainly can't go back home. And about that time, they crest the horizon and they see smoke rising from the city. Ziklag is on fire. And as they approached the city, they they learned that while they were gone, the Amalekites had come in and raided Ziklag. They stole all of their valuable possessions. They, They stole their wives and their children, and they burned their city to the ground. Ziklag is up in smoke. Now, David gets to that city. And he's standing there in that reality. This is hopelessness. Look with me at verse 3 and 4 there in 1 Samuel 30. It says, when David and his men reached Ziklag, they found it destroyed by fire and their wives and sons and daughters taken captive. So David and his men wept aloud until they had no strength left to weep. Have you ever cried until you literally couldn't cry anymore? I mean, just, just nothing left. No more tears. Completely exhausted. Not even enough strength to cry about the situation that he's in. Just been burned one too many times. Frustrated with the process. 
believed God's plan for a long time, but too many rejections, too many delays, too many side detours until finally David is there and he's sitting in a pile of ashes and he can't even cry anymore. He's totally discouraged. To make matters worse, as is often the case when misery comes, people are looking for someone to blame. And his men begin to conspire. They're pointing fingers and they're all pointed in the direction of David. It's your fault. This was your idea. You're the one that brought us here. You're the one that told us we should go and fight. We should have just stayed here. We should have just protected what was ours. We should have just, just been content with our lot in life. But no, you brought us out here. Look at verse six. It says, David was greatly distressed because the men were talking of stoning him. They're ready to kill him. Each one was bitter in spirit because of his sons and daughters. But look at this next verse. This next statement. But David found strength in the Lord his God. Can I tell you, this is the pivotal moment in the whole story. Not not just in this story. This is the pivotal moment in the whole life of David. In this moment, while he's on his knees in the ashes, and all of his men are surrounding him, looking for the biggest, best stone to throw at his head. David has a decision to make. David could have just absolutely thrown in the towel right then. He could have actually given up. He could have just, just said, that, you know what? Get a big rock, guys. Make it quick. I'm done. Just, I mean, just make it quick. I, I, I don't even have anything else to give to this moment. I don't even have any more tears to cry. I've, lost, I've literally lost everything. I've lost hope in God's plan, in God's purpose for my life. And now I've lost my family. And I've lost what worldly goods I still have. What David didn't know, and if you read the timeline of the scriptures, is that it was in this same timeline that Saul is in the battle. And Saul is killed with the sword. All of David's years of waiting and wondering and, and hoping and he is, he is moments now. He is days away from the crown. He is days away from his own coronation, from the fulfillment of God's promise. And here he is in the ash heap, and he has nothing left to give. He could have given up, but the Bible says David found strength in the Lord. He found strength. Found strength that he didn't have, strength that didn't come from himself, It was strength that came from the Lord in the most hopeless of circumstances. David, the mighty warrior, he doesn't pick up his sling. He doesn't pick up a javelin or a sword. He doesn't turn and and yell at his men and, and point fingers back at them. David, in that moment, wielded the weapon of worship. Right there, on his knees, in the ashes, David made up his mind to just worship God, to just Find strength in the Lord. And I wish we knew what he said. I wish we knew what he said right there. I don't know what his prayer sounded like. I don't know what song he sang. But we do have some indication. Because as you look at the life of David, you learn that this is not the first time that he chose to strengthen himself in the Lord. Let let me just mention a couple quickly. 
the time that David was captured by the Philistines in Gath, and he had to pretend to be insane and foam at the mouth so that they would let him go. It was in that moment that he wrote about in Psalm 56, verse 1 through 4, he said, in that moment, when he chose the weapon of worship, he said, be merciful to me, my God. For my enemies are in hot pursuit all day long. They press their attack. My adversaries, they pursue me all day long. In their pride, many are attacking me. But then he said this, when I am afraid, I put my trust in you. Or how about the time when when Saul was chasing him into a cave and David was hiding out in that cave. He wrote Psalm 57 Verse 4, he said, I am in the midst of lions. I'm forced to dwell among ravenous beasts. Can you imagine that? David's hiding out in a cave, fearing for his life, and all of a sudden he hears a low growl. He's not alone in that cave. And David said, here I am amidst ravenous beasts. Men whose teeth are spears and arrows, whose tongues are sharp as swords, But in that place, look at verse 5. He said, be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. See, that's a great verse all by itself. If you read verse 5, that'll encourage you. Be exalted, O God. You can say that every day. But it takes on another dimension of faith when you realize the place that David was in when he said it. Or how about the time when, when Saul actually sent men to David's house to kill him? David was lying in the bed and got word that they were coming, had to sneak out a window. But out of that experience, he wrote Psalm 59, verse 16. He said, in light of that attempted murder, he said, but I will sing of your strength in the morning, and I will sing of your love, for you are my fortress, my refuge in time of trouble. You are my strength, and I sing praise to you. You, God, are my fortress, my God, on whom I can rely. Can I tell you today, you have a weapon that is available to you called worship. I want to ask the worship team if you'll come back And I want to tell you today, you are not disqualified. Hear me. You are not disqualified from God's presence. Some people might look at this story and say, how could, how could God, how could God respond to David so quickly after he spent 14 months out of the will of God? Campaign after campaign, slaughtering people, taking their lives. How could God respond so quickly to David with grace and an answer to prayer. The Bible says this in James 4.10, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. Can I tell you today, it's a short step. It's actually more of a kneel to get back in good graces with God. If you'll humble yourself, all of David's running all of his own ingenuity, all of his own striving to to, to find a solution, to come up with a plan until finally he came to the end of himself and he took a posture of worship. And David, in that moment, he found strength in the Lord. In that moment, he found strength and immediately something changed. 
for the first time, the Bible says in verse 7, David said to Abiathar the priest, the son of Ahimelech, bring me the ephod. And Abiathar brought it to him. And David inquired of the Lord. Listen, we don't read that in chapter 27. If we had read that, David inquired of the Lord, God would have told him, don't, don't go to Ziklag. I know it feels like this is unending, but, but don't operate in fear. Trust me. But David now inquires of the Lord. And he said, shall I pursue the raiding party? Will I overtake them? In verse 8. Pursue them, God answered. You will certainly overtake them and succeed in the rescue. What a beautiful picture. You know, the, put verse 8 up there for me, if you will. The most beautiful thing about this whole verse to me is the two words, he answered. He answered. David finally calls on the Lord. There's no delay here. There's no penalty season of God saying, well, it's about time you started praying. Keep it up, you know. Keep praying, keep praying, keep praying. Eventually, eventually I'll respond. No, immediately it says he answered. The Bible says a broken and a contrite heart the Lord will not despise. You know who wrote that? David. David learned firsthand that if I'll humble myself and if I'll come before the Lord and worship him, I'll find strength in his presence. I'll find strength in his presence. I don't know what strength you need today, but I want to declare this morning that there is hope. There is hope. In the most hopeless of circumstances, there is hope today. And I've asked this worship team to come because I, just, I want to respond to this promise that is ours. On this first Sunday of Advent, that hope has come and that hope has a name. And his name is Jesus. I want to invite you to stand with us all over this room.